Good morning. All right, I'm glad all of you are here today. We've mentioned the weather a couple of times. Nobody, I mean, some people, I guess, like a rainy morning. I'm not one of them in particular. And I, I want to point something out because I think this is, this is just awesome. There's this thing in sort of church world where there are certain days that you know as a church that people just, they ain't coming, okay? They're just not going to show up. They're certain, you just prepare yourself for that mentally. And here's what I found, like, here's what I found in the life of our church over the last, going on six years. I saw a post yesterday that our, our, we announced our first launch team meeting six years ago um, this past week. Uh, but I've noticed that is not true here, all right? Like, they, they say, they say, the week after Easter, nobody shows up. That's not true here. The, the week after New Year's, the first year, the, you know, you have the first uh, service of the year, and um, everybody shows up because everybody makes their New Year's resolution to get back in church, right? But no resolutions stick, and then so, you know, nobody shows up the next week. That's not true here. I was fully expecting it this year. Didn't happen. It never does. Father's Day, that's a day in church. You're like, hey, nobody comes to church on Father's Day. Not true. This place is, uh, you all come because you, you make it a priority to be here. And here's the one. When it's raining outside. People don't come to church when it's raining. They don't want to go out. They don't want to get their hair wet. They don't want to go wrestle the kids and get in and out of it. And guess what? You're here. (laughs) So that's awesome. What it shows me, it shows me that we have our priorities in place in our life. That, That this is important to us. This time spent together is really important. And so thank you so much for getting out and braving the weather and being here. That's awesome. There is no place I would rather be on a Sunday morning than here. I love sleeping in. I love my bed. I do. I love sitting in my chair and having my coffee and doing all of that. And thank you uh, that you, uh, along with me, agree that this is the place to be. Uh, no shame to those of you who are watching online. I understand some of you are, are sick, but I'm not, I'm not doing that. All right, I'm not doing that. All right, I had a couple people message me this weekend and said, hey, we're sick, we're not going to come. So that's awesome. But um, I'm glad we have this option for you. It's not awesome that you're sick. No. Um, and it'll be all right. It'll be all right. Uh, the reason that we're here, the reason that we have, we have so much fun and we enjoy this time together is because we're free and because we're living. We're figuring out what it looks like to really live in the joy and the peace and the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here together today, because Jesus Christ in his loving kindness came to earth, and he gave his life on the cross to pay for our sin, and he rose again on the third day. And if we put our faith in him for salvation, he makes us right before God, and we know we have life. And then our goal together, all right, our goal together Our goal together is to walk in that life and share that with as many people as we can. And so we are made made right before God because of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that in our series, The Good News. That's in the first four chapters-ish of Romans. Paul deals with what what the term is justification, all right? We are justified or made right in front of God through Jesus Christ and faith in him and faith in him alone. And then he moves on, beginning in chapter 5, to talk about how God now transforms us and what he wants to do in us and how he does it. And last week, he dropped the bomb to say, you've been fighting so hard against sin, but you've been trying to fight flesh with flesh. And what you need to do is fight, fight flesh with the Spirit. You need to learn how to walk in the Spirit. So Jesus makes us right before God by his death and resurrection, and the Spirit helps make us righter in life through his power. And so that's what we're trying to do together. And the promise is that if we do that, we're going to experience life. 
real life. So the question we're going we're gonna to look at, talk about, is what does that life look like? How do, I, how do I get that? How do I achieve that? How do I walk in the Spirit in a way that's going to let me experience this life? And what does it look like? Now, I would imagine that if I went around, if we just like went, well, let's say there were people downtown. If I just went downtown to the street and started asking people, like, what's real living? Like, when, you, when you're saying, when you stop and you say, ah, this is the life. What is that like? When, when does that happen? For a lot of you, I would imagine that involves a beach. Right? A beach and a drink of some kind, or maybe for some of you it's in the mountains, or hey, you like that? We got mountain people, all right? We got the mountains, or maybe it's when you're playing with your kids, or, or when you're sitting down to a really good meal. You know what I mean? Like they bring out that steak and you can you you know by looking at it. Like you're eating with your eyes before you ever touch it with a fork or a knife. You're not even sure you need a knife. You know, you just and you you're just like, oh, this 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 is what life is all about. Or when you're at work and you get recognized for your achievements and your hard work and it finally feels like it pays off, or or when you, you put so much effort into practicing and you try out for the team and you make it and you get a spot on the roster or, or you studied so hard for the test that you have to pass in order to pursue your dream and you pass it or you ace it. It all pays off. Like this, we would be like, oh, this is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. But what if I told you that as good as all of those things are, and I love those things, what if I told you that God's definition of life looks different than that? What if I told you that all those things, as good and as satisfying as they can be, they are all shallow and short, ultimately? And that God's desire, God, the life that God has for you, may include a lot of those things, but the life that God has planned for you is much deeper and much more permanent than that, much more eternal. And what you might find as you pursue, not might, by the way, what you will find as you pursue the life God has created for you, whether it includes those other things or not, that what you experience in the Spirit and what you experience in Christ is deeper and more satisfying. It has more joy and more hope attached to it than any of those things could. And that life actually then makes all those other things even better when they do happen. What if I told you that the people that the world says are winning aren't necessarily winning? And the people that the world says are losing aren't necessarily losing. That God's definition of success is very different than the world's definition of success. And we have to make a choice on which one we are going to pursue. And at the end of one is life, the experience of life. And when Paul talks, as we're going to read in Romans, as he talks about life, he's not talking about physical life and death. He's not talking about eternal life and death like heaven or hell. He's talking about the experience of life and death now. That the end of one of those pursuits is death, but the end of the other is life. And so we have a choice to make on which we're going to pursue.
All right, let's get into, back into Romans. We're making our way through. We are in the middle of chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we'll have it on the screen for you as well. And we mention this from time to time, but um, there is an app called um, the YouVersion Bible app. If you have that on your phone, uh, it's like the first one that comes up if you search for Bible on um, your iTunes store, your Google Play store, or whatever. Um, and uh, if you click on events, you should be able to find our service in there, and it'll actually have our verses already laid out for you in there. And it's places you can take notes and stuff. So that's a, that's a good little feature for you. Uh, but hopefully while I was saying all that, you got to Romans chapter 8, all right? So we find ourselves in the middle, and Paul is talking about what this life in the Spirit looks like, all right? Um, We're to verse 12 now. So let's go to verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are, or brothers, he's talking to believers here. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, or if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he just said, you are free. This is what we talked about last week. You are free from the control or the reign of sin in your life. And then we need to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. So he says, you don't owe sin anything. You don't owe the flesh anything. It doesn't control you. But we do owe something to God now. Not that we're earning anything or not that we're paying anything off, but we do owe a debt to God. But he's saying you don't owe a debt to the flesh anymore because if you walk in the flesh, then you'll experience death. And you don't want to do that. In fact, why would we do that? And I, we've said that over and over again in the series. But if we've been set free from sin and death, why would we consciously, willingly continue to walk in the flesh? That's just foolish. It's foolish, and what it does is it has consequences when we walk in the flesh. It has real consequences. Even though we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, even though the, the grace of Christ is, saves us, all right, and it's not based on what we do, what we do does matter because the decisions we make have consequences. And so if we walk in the flesh, that has consequences. It has, um, it has physical consequences. I mean, when you do dumb things, when you sin, there are consequences for that, right? They could be physical to the point of, I mean, you could do, you know, you could sin and die from it physically, you know? So there are physical consequences when we sin. There are relational consequences when we sin. And just because we're saved doesn't mean we're protected from any of this stuff. So when we sin, there are relational consequences with other people. You know that. I don't need to convince you of that. We know that. And then there are relational consequences with God. We're still his child. We'll still spend eternity with him. But sin creates a disruption between us and God. It creates tension between us and God. Not on his part, on our part. Right? You, and I think you know what this feels like. I know what this feels like. Um, I remember, here's just a, by way of analogy, flashing back to when I was about eight years old. Okay? I was about eight years old. I think that was roughly the age. And my parents decided they were going to go out on a date night. And they didn't go out to dinner very often. That wasn't something that people did, I think, then like they do now. They just didn't, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just my folks. But they didn't go out a whole lot. And so it was a big deal when they got to go out on a date night. So they went out on a date night, and it was just me and my older brother and my younger, or my older sister, my younger brother, it's three of us, and we had a babysitter. And she was great, right? She was a teenager, and she was great, um, but trying to keep us busy. Okay, so the three of us are home without my folks. We're generally well-behaved kids, I would say. Um, 
and we were, but we got bored of our hoop and our stick, okay? It was, it was the 80s. And um, we got bored of our hoop and stick and decided to come up with a game. And so we played a game called Wheelbarrow. You ever play Wheelbarrow? You know, you know wheelbarrow goes? That's where, that's where one person puts their hands down on the ground, the other person holds their legs like a wheelbarrow, and then you got to walk, and we do races and stuff, right? Um, and it, listen, we didn't have video games, okay? They didn't exist yet. So we had to figure out how to play and do stuff. So we were playing wheelbarrow, and um, the babysitter, we, to, to make it hard, we were just kind of in a small living room, couldn't really race. And so the, the challenge was to see how many pillows you could stack up on your back and still make a lap around the living room, all right? So that's, that's what we were doing, and we were taking our turns, and my sister, my older sister, who was always bigger than me and not anymore, but it was always bigger than me as a kid because she was older and stronger and all that. She was carrying three pillows around, and I could only carry two. And I'm a very competitive person. You learn that about me if you're around very long. A very competitive person. I could not stand the idea that my sister was going to beat me at wheelbarrow. That was unacceptable in my mind. And so, unfortunately, for a split second, my brain turned off. And that's, that's all it takes is a split second, am I right? And so I was mad she was beating me. And so I jumped up on the couch and I shouted, let's see if you can carry this. And I leapt off of the couch and onto her back. My brain, don't do it. Don't do it. Because I landed on her back and when I landed on her back, I broke her thumb. All right, on the ground, you know. Let's just do that for a visual just to get you queasy, you know, <laughs> right? I broke her thumb. Now, I already mentioned this, but let me remind you. It was the 80s, and my parents were not cool enough to have a beeper, okay? Certainly didn't have a cell phone. So there was no way to get a hold of my parents. And so the babysitter, I don't know why she did this. She knew the neighbors. She ran next door. And I was left sitting there with my sister who's holding her thumb. And it wasn't like out of place or anything. So we didn't really know if it was broken, but it's swollen and it hurt and everything. My brother's running around the house like crazy, losing his mind. And all I, I mean, I remember the event happening. And then I remember the feeling I immediately had knowing that at some point my parents were coming home. <laughs> and the space between when the event happened and when my parents got home, that was death. That was almost as bad as what happened when they got there. That is what it feels like when we sin, when we walk in the flesh. And we know, hey, we know God knows. We, we know that we've done wrong. We know that we failed him. But what it does is it creates this tension between us and God. Now, Scripture tells us, and it is true, that uh, God is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that tension does not exist on God's behalf. That tension exists on our behalf. And all we have to do is take that thing to him, confess it to him, ask forgiveness, and that tension will be relieved between us. So that's on us. But there are very real relational consequences between us and God when that happens. And then there are also eternal consequences 
for us when we walk in the flesh. Now, we are not going to be punished for our sin because Christ paid for our sin on the cross, but every moment in life that we spend walking in the flesh or walking in sin is a waste. It's a complete waste of our life. It's an, it was an opportunity to walk in the Spirit. It was an opportunity to do something for God. It was an opportunity to love and minister to people, and we lost it because we wasted it on ourselves, and we spent it in the flesh. And so there are eternal consequences. And is it possible for a believer to accept Christ as their Savior and then spend most, if not all, of their life walking in the flesh? Yes. I think theoretically it is, and how incredibly sad. What a waste that someone would have the power of the Spirit within them and never rely on Him and never walk with Him and never be faithful to Him and walk in life the same way a non-believer walks in life. And to walk in an experience of death rather than an experience of life. And I know that for most of us as believers, hopefully that's not us, that's not you, right? We are not believers who are consistently walking in the flesh. I hope not. I'm just saying that, you know, expectantly in our lives. That we're not going to walk in the flesh, we're going to walk in the spirit. But I know that for me and for you, that this is an ebb and flow in our life. That there are times and there are seasons where we find ourselves walking in the flesh. And there are times and seasons where we find ourselves walking in the spirit. And the goal in our life, it's not that that, it's not that, that tension will ever fully go away. It's that for us, the balance of power shifts in our life. And that we're giving more and more and more of our life over to the spirit. That there may be areas of our life where we walk in the spirit versus areas of our life where we walk in the flesh. And our goal is to hand all of that over to the spirit, ultimately, and to be improving and growing in that area. And we all know what that feels like if you're walking in the spirit and suddenly sin pops up and we have a choice to make. On whether we're going to walk in the flesh and experience death. Or whether we're going to do what Paul says. He says, by the spirit... Put to death the deeds of the body. To put to death the deeds of the body. That the spirit would be winning, that the balance would be shifting in our life. Verse 14, Paul says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now, this, this is a verse that could easily be misunderstood. If you, you took the inverse and took it to be true, you might get misled by this verse, but don't do that because that's not what he said, right? Some people read this verse and say, oh, well, then if you're not led by the Spirit, then you're not a son of God. Nope, Paul didn't say that. Don't put words in his mouth. <laughs> that's not what he said. He said those who are led by the Spirit, as many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. How do we understand what he's saying here? Uh, because it's not like you're walking, and when you're walking in the Spirit, you're a son of God, you're a child of God, and then as soon as you start walking in the flesh, you're not a child of God anymore. It doesn't work that way. We are, we are justified by faith in Jesus. Paul made that really clear at the beginning of Romans. No question about that. So what is he saying? I think this gives the essence of it to me. Now, those of you that are parents, you can, re you can relate to this. You ever have a moment where you look at your child, and they are doing something that you've taught them to do, or being something that you've taught them to be? Like, like um, uh, and, and you say something like this. Like I, uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we had the award ceremony. My daughter, Josie, she's our youngest, goes to Granite Quarry Elementary, and they had the award ceremony, and they do honor roll, and she got honor roll. 
All right. And so, uh, not bragging, just saying. She's brilliant. Reads, reads on a 12th grade level. Anyway, so she, um, I'm a parent, right? You got to do that. Uh, but she, she goes up and she gets, she gets on a roll and she's walking across the stage and I just thought, that's my girl. Right? You ever do that? Or, or um, they do something, something kind. You see them do something kind, unprompted, and you're like, that's my boy. You know that, you know, you, you know that feeling? That's the, that's the essence, I, the feeling I get out of this verse. That when we walk, uh, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Like you look at them and you know they're sons and daughters of God. They're, they're, they're clearly sons and daughters of God because you can see it all over them and the decisions that they're making and the choices and, and their lifestyle and their, their hopes and their dreams and their priorities. You can just see it all over them. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And not only how we're perceived, but also our own experience that when we're walking according to the Spirit, we feel like children of God. We experience being children of God. And we look at God as our Father in that closeness, harmony, and unity, rather than some outside force who's waiting to punish us or get back at us or whatever. It's a totally different frame of mind, a totally different kind of relationship. And so Paul says in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's not how we're supposed to think or act or what our worldview or perspective is supposed to be like. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption or sonship by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what he's saying is that instead of, instead of sliding, when we walk in the flesh, we walk in fear. We walk in anxiety. We walk in shame. We walk in guilt. But when we walk in the Spirit, we have the opportunity to look at God and see him as our Father, our loving Father. And that the Spirit, along with us, that we together, as we're walking with him, that we are declaring to God, look, we're your child. Look, we're your child. Look, we're your child. Look, you know, it's like, like a kid who, who does something that they know their parents would be proud of, and they're looking at them. You know, you ever, uh, you, I don't know if any of you have kids that have played sports or whatever, but like they hit a great ball, and they don't run to first base, you know. It's turn to look at you like, did you see it? I hit it, you know. It's that kind of thing. So it's this opportunity for us to come to God as our Father. And he uses the word Abba which is an Aramaic word. This was, Jesus um, likely grew up speaking Aramaic, all right? The Aramaic and Greek were spoken in the area. The region Jesus was from spoke Aramaic a good bit. And so Jesus said this. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and before he said, he said, uh, if it's your will, take this cup from me. If it's, if it's your will, God, I, I don't, don't make me go to the cross. Like if, I, you know, if, I, if there's another way, let's do it that way. He says, if it's your will, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Right before that, Jesus says, Abba, Father. It's that kind of close, that kind of desperation. And and the word Abba means father in Aramaic. And then, of course, he said the word father in Greek, pater. And then we translate that in English, father. So he said, he said, father, father. He said it in Aramaic, and then he said it in Greek. Father, Father, and this is a word, this is not just like a, a distant uh, a word for Father. This is, this is like saying Daddy or Papa. 
And the fact that when we walk in the Spirit, it gives us the confidence to come to God that way. Whereas when we walk in the flesh, we feel that disconnect and that tension, and we don't, we don't come to him that way when we're walking in the flesh. When we're walking in the Spirit, we get to come to God and say, Papa, Daddy. That can, there is, there is no, can, there's no relational connection on earth, as great as they are, as close as we feel to people. There is no relational connection that is more satisfying than that. And to know that you are at peace with God. You not only have peace with him eternally through Jesus Christ, but you have peace with him now through the Spirit. What an incredible gift for us. And so why would we choose to walk in the tension of the flesh with him? And to constantly be looking around the corner. You know the surest way to not panic when you see a state trooper on 85? Drive the speed limit. You know what I mean? Like it's our own choices that create that tension. It's not tension on his part. It's tension from us because of the choices that we make. Now, sorry, I'm I'm a softie, okay? Um. But this is it. Like, this is it. This is, this is the difference between life and death now. Is our willingness to walk with the Spirit. And to let Him lead us into whatever He wants to lead us into. Rather than trying to take Him and pigeonhole Him into what we want out of life. To be, to be responsive and to be flexible and to be trusting and to be faithful, and to submit ourselves over to God. You know, Paul said, we are debtors. We do owe an obligation. In light of the gospel, we owe God our lives. And so we need to make the choice to freely, willingly give it over to him in every single way. And he will help draw us through the world. He will help us draw us through the temptations of the flesh. He will help us put to death the deeds of the body. You know, I um, I remember how it felt after I broke my sister's thumb and I knew my parents were coming home. But I also remember many, many times when my parents came home and I had behaved myself. And I couldn't wait for him to get home. I couldn't wait to tell them everything that we had done and all the fun we had had and find out about what they had done. It was a totally different relationship. How do you look at yourself? Are you a religious person who's fighting against sin? Or are you a spiritual person who's being transformed by your father? Those are massively different things. Massively different. And the hope that we have is that when our time here is finished, on earth now, here and now, as it is, that there is great joy waiting for us. Whether that's us going to meet Jesus in heaven or whether that's Jesus coming here to earth before that happens. I hope that happens. I want that. I want Jesus to come first. All right. Even though heaven would be great, I would rather Jesus come right now and we meet him here 
and him establish his kingdom here. There is reward for our faithfulness. It, doesn't, it isn't for nothing. It's not just for peace. It's not just for connection with God, although that's the primary motivator. There's also reward that comes. Paul says um, in verse 17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs, we receive something. Now be very, be very, very careful to know we are, we are not doing it to receive. We are not being faithful to try. It's not like a paycheck we're trying to earn. But this is a result of our faithfulness. We are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, there's two things here, and it's lost a little bit in English in the way we translate. But this could be, that the way it's written in Greek, this could be easily said, and this is important, could easily be said, on the one hand, we are heirs, heirs of God. Meaning, everybody who is a child of God is an heir of God. So everybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, trusts him for salvation, you are an heir of God, you will be with him forever, you receive eternal life. But then he says, essentially, and on the other hand, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So it's like, on the one hand, yes, we are all saved and we are all heirs of God, and that's incredible. But if you want to be a joint heir with Christ, if you want to prove yourself faithful, if you want to be a part of the kingdom in a meaningful way and prove yourself trustworthy to God and be a joint heir with Christ, it will require that you suffer with him. Now here's part of the problem. When we say this is really living, does that definition, just generally speaking, this is really living, it doesn't get any better than this, does that ever include suffering? No. No, because our human definition of living is ease and comfort and peace. But the problem is, if we are walking in the Spirit, we will find ourselves in conflict with the world at some point. And if we don't, if our life just looks like everybody else, we may not be walking with the Spirit. We will find ourselves in conflict with the world, and we are going to have to make a choice at some point to sacrifice something to walk in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh. And that will cost us. And the question is, am I willing to pay the price to walk in the Spirit rather than in the flesh? If I walk in the flesh, the world will reward that. If I walk in the Spirit, God will reward that. But it means that I have to give up some rewards now. And so I want, first of all, we all need to look at our life and look for those times and say, have I experienced any kind of suffering because of walking in the Spirit? Am I willing to endure that? And it's practical things like, like the Spirit, you know, is telling me to help somebody, Right? To give something away, to give money away or to give an object away, something that I have, something that I want, something that I need, but the Spirit is saying, I want you to do that. Are we willing to pay that price? That's like as tangible as it gets. Are we willing to pay that price? Or are we going to hang on to it? Are we willing to pay the price? Most of our spiritual misses come because we are suffering averse. 
We don't do it. We don't do what we know he wants us to do because we don't want to endure the pain or the loss. So the question, it may be giving up some comfort that we have, some sort of security that we have. It may be giving up a status that we were aspiring to. You know, practically speaking, maybe there's, there's someone at work who's willing to do what you are unwilling to do because you're following the spirit instead of the flesh, and they're willing to do that thing to get the promotion, and they get the promotion instead of you. Are you willing to give it up? To know that, to, to know that you did the thing that honored God, even if it cost you? What price are you willing to pay to walk with him? It's not an if proposition It's a when proposition, but I can guarantee you of this. It is worth it every time. It is worth it every single time. There is reward for those that are faithful to God. As we prove our trust and our faithfulness, when Jesus returns here and establishes kingdom, He's going to do that with people that he trusts. And I want to be one of those people. You want to be one of those people? When when our time here is done, if he doesn't come here first, if we go to meet him, the greeting that we get when we get there, what do you want to hear? I want to hear, well done. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And there's a cost to that. The question is whether we're willing to pay it. We're proving ourselves trustworthy, and then we get to share in the glory of Christ. How incredible. How incredible. The, the, the closeness, the satisfaction, the unity that we feel with our Heavenly Father. You can't even, you can't even put words on what that means. Paul Paul couldn't either. Paul, who sacrificed so much, faced all kinds of suffering. He could have just kept on being a Pharisee like he was. They were powerful people. They were wealthy people. They were well-respected people. Paul had a whole career ahead of him. He had invested his entire life into it. He said, as far as zealousness, he's like, I was the top of the top. I did it all. But I consider all of that, all of my achievements, all the success that I had in people's mind, I could consider it all worthless for the surpassing greatness of knowing you. That it was worth giving up every single bit of it. And he says right here in Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Like, they don't even belong in the same conversation. It's not even close. It's not even, the the sufferings now are not even worth comparing. Don't even put them on the same list. The glory that's coming so far outweighs and surpasses all of it. These sufferings are like a gnat on the windshield, but we we need the spirit to carry us through. And we need to commit to following and trusting him. I just want to tell you from my own personal life that suffering is worth it. 
All right, and I'm not going to, I want to talk, I want to share a little bit of my testimony and story with you, not at, not at length or in great detail, and not in any way to set myself up as an example, but as an example of this, I guess. Not setting my, I, I don't know how to say that. All right. But years and years and many, many moons ago, I graduated from college with a business degree. And um, it was only, I've told you before, I don't, I just didn't know what else to do. But I graduated with a business degree um, from college and we moved to Salisbury. And I, my first job was doing fundraising, right? I worked at the United Way uh, here in Salisbury for a few years. And um, it was fine. It was, it was a good job. I learned things uh, in the job. But ultimately, my goal was to take the relationships that I developed in that career, in that job, and roll that into a career in banking, okay? If you want to be in banking, Charlotte's a pretty good place to be. And so I wanted to go into banking. That was ultimately my goal. And so I'd been with the United Way for a few years. And when I came out of college, uh, I was not, I was a Christian, absolutely. Um, but I wouldn't say that I was committed to following God um, to any extent. It was just a piece of me, but it wasn't all of me. And um, we got involved with a church, and God started working on my heart and softening me and taking the dollar signs out of my eyes, I suppose. But my goal was ultimately I wanted to make as much money as I could. The family that I grew up in, my dad was a pastor, and um, he, didn't, he did okay, but he didn't make a lot of money by any stretch of the imagination. And I saw everybody else going on vacations and doing all this stuff, and we just couldn't do that. We, we weren't poor, but we weren't, certainly weren't rich. And so, you know, we had our hoop and our stick, and that was good enough for us. Um, we didn't have a VCR or cable. But, um, like, I saw, <laughs> you know, just I'm setting that line for you. But um, I saw all of that, and I just wanted, at that point, I wanted a life that was more comfortable than that. I wanted to be able to go on vacations. I wanted to be able to have a secure retirement. I wanted to, to be able to go out to eat whenever I wanted. And I wanted all of these things, the kind of the, I wanted a nicer car than I remembered. And ministry amounted to that as far as I knew. And so I was pursuing this career in banking and I was doing interviews and trying to get into that world. And for some reason, I felt like I was running into a roadblock. I was, I was qualified for the jobs. I interviewed well. And this weird things, crazy things were happening. And all of a sudden, jobs weren't open anymore. Or they were going to take two people, and now they're going to take one. And for some reason, every door kept slamming in my face. And uh, one day, my pastor asked me if I would help uh, lead small groups for the church. Like, would I organize the small groups? That was the job. And honestly, in my head, it just felt like a huge step back. Like, this is, this is not going to get me to where I want to be. But I, at that point, God was softening me, and he was working on me, and I spent time praying about it. I talked to Jess, and she is really uh, influential on these things. And uh, so we prayed about it, we talked about it, and ultimately the answer was yes, I'll do it. And so I shifted from business into a church. And I, I was really conflicted about it because I thought, I thought, I know this is what I'm supposed to do right now, but I mean, am I going to do this until I'm 80 years old? Like, how, how long am I going to do this? And if I do this now, is it going to derail me from going into banking and making the kind of money that I want to make and all those kinds of things? 
And all I heard was consistently from the Spirit, stay, 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 stay. And I didn't make a lot of money. I had a choice to make on whether I was going to chase after what I wanted to chase after or whether I was going to chase after what the Spirit wanted to do. And so I did that. I was a part of that church, and things happened with that church that were amazing. And things happened with that church that were devastating to me. And I, and I just being, a, and it's so crazy, but being a part of a church, I went through suffering that I didn't know existed. <laughs> The, 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 the depth of it. But thankfully, God had surrounded me with lots of faithful believers and opportunities. And we were able to, and we moved on from, from that church. I was able to go to um, a church called the Cove Church in Mooresville. And they, they helped walk us through some of those difficult times with the first church I was with. And they made a place for me. They made a place for me just to come in and heal. And I needed that. I needed it so desperately. But God made it clear after a little while that that was not where we were going to be long term. And we had to decide what to do. And immediately my mind spun way back to what it had done years and years before. And I thought, well, you know, I've been in church world for a while. I've done some, some things. And my resume is pretty good. Like, I could spin this into some, I hate to say it this way, but like, I could spin this into some money. Like there, there, there are there are parachurch organizations out there. There are huge churches out there, and if I could get on board with this church or that church, I could get in there, and man, I would be set. Like we would be set. We would be good to go, you know. Like health insurance, set. <laughs> you know, retirement fund, set. You know, like if I could do that, or I could spin it into consulting, or do something. I have that kind of. I could do that kind of thing. And so I was thinking about all these different options, and through just crazy courses of events and the leadership of the Spirit, God was like, plant a church. And I, I, got a, I knew it's what he wanted me to do, and the entrepreneurial spirit in me got excited about the idea of building something and starting something. But there was definitely a piece of me that was like, this again? Like, are we going to do this again? Are we going to put ourselves through this again? Because it's not easy. It's not easy. But that is what the Spirit wanted us to do. And so we did it. And I, for one, want to say thank you so much that you have not made this suffering. Okay? <laughs> I've, had, I've had very little suffering over the last five or six years, and I'm very thankful for that. A lot of things to deal with. But it was a sacrifice. When we started the church, we didn't know. We didn't know if anybody was going to show up. We didn't know if we were going to be able to sustain it. We didn't know if I was going to be able to get a paycheck, for goodness sakes, you know. We didn't know what was going to happen. But the Spirit said, do it, and we're doing it. And now we are together. And that's my piece of this. And I know that you have a piece of that, too. And so I'm not saying it's a perfect example or anything like that. But I'm saying that whatever God is leading you to do, whatever that is for you, and I don't know what that is, but whatever he's leading you to do, 
Whatever fear you have, let it go. Whatever, whatever stranglehold you have on the thing you have to give up in order to do it, let it go. Whatever concern you have about how people will perceive you if you do it, let it go. Because following him and walking in the life that he's created for you is not even worth comparing to whatever you have to sacrifice in order to get there. But you just got to get over the hump. You just have to say yes. You have to do it. And then you have to continue to walk in the spirit as you do. And that is the key. That is the path to life. You will find life and you will experience the unending love of God, your Father. And it does not get any better than that. Now let's go to him right now. Let's thank him for this love that he has for us. And use this moment as we're praying as a time of commitment to say to him that you will follow, you will be faithful. Father, we come to you and we want you to know you are so good. We know that. We see that. It's all over. It's all over everything. And we're so thankful for you and, and that you love us and care for us, that you would even make a way for us to become your child, that you would forgive us, and that we don't have to earn it, that we don't have to fight for it, that we don't have to work for it. All we have to do is accept it, to believe Jesus, that you gave your life on the cross in our place, that you paid for our sin on the cross. You took that for us. And then you rose again on the third day. And to know that our sin also can be put to death and that we can experience life. And to know that you've given us the Spirit and that you want us to walk in the Spirit. What a great gift. Forgive us for any place in our life, any time in our life, whether it's now or in the past. Forgive us for where we have continued to walk in the flesh and traded what was incredible for what is temporary and short-sighted. God, I pray that someone today would put their faith in you for the first time and trust you for salvation. And I pray that all of us today Make a commitment to walk in the Spirit and walk in faithfulness. God, I'm willing to bet that there are people in here that have decisions sitting in front of them right now and they know what it is. And they got a choice to make on whether they're going to walk in the flesh and do what is comfortable or what is natural, what is safe or secure, what is known, what will receive praise from people what will fulfill the dreams that they've had for themselves. And that even facing that and what it may cost, they choose the greater thing, which is to walk in the Spirit, to be faithful to what you're telling them to do, to make the sacrifices that they need to make, and to know that the closeness that they have with you, Abba, Father, is far greater. That the reward that they have from you 
is far greater than anything the world can reward us with. And that at the end of the day, when we meet you face to face, Jesus, there will be nothing between us. That we would show ourselves trustworthy and faithful and true. That we would show ourselves to you to be your child. To make you proud. And so God, we ask that as we face these decisions and as we walk every step every day, that you would lead us in the spirit. That you would put to death the deeds of the body that you would guide us and draw us into greater and greater righteousness and holiness, that our lives, our character, would continually look more and more like Jesus. And that you would draw our eyes up and forward to the hope and glory that is coming. And that as we do that, that we would feel, experience, walk in, rest in your love. knowing that any space that exists between us and you, we created, and that you're there, and that if we confess our sin, you're faithful, you'll just, and you'll forgive us our sin, you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that we can come back into, if we're not already, back into the relationship with you where we can say, Abba, Father, Papa, God, we want our entire lives to express that love to you in response to the love that you've shown us. And so see it here in every decision that we make today, in the song that we sing, in our prayers, in our conversations, in our decisions. We'll follow you.